You're listening to episode 20 of the Divine Nobodies podcast. Stay friends. Thank you for tuning in to the Divine Nobody's podcast. I'm your host, once again, Eric Ajna. I'm joined by my fellow altruistic lightworker in crime, Jennifer Lynn. How are you doing, Jen? I'm doing well. How are you? I'm doing fantastic. Happy full moon in Aries. Oh, okay. You know, the energy is really, really intense, and, and Aries represents the warrior. It's also a fire sign. So if you're feeling extra spicy today, <laughs> that could be why. I'm feeling it. Yeah, so if you're an action-oriented type of person, there's a lot of people talking about uh, how intense the energy is. And I've definitely felt it. I've actually been a little bit more productive today. That's good. And then when we walked into the studio, it's an entirely new studio. Yeah. Yeah, so it feels really good in here. New luck who... Oh, fuck. Yeah. You know what I was trying to say. Yeah, exactly. New luck who this? Yeah, yeah, What do the kids say? I don't know. The kids say something like, new phone who dis? New phone, who dis? Yeah, that's you it. Got, that's you, what I was trying to say. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, well, I mean, it's definitely different, and it feels good. And this signifies, of course, in moving forward. This is our inaugural episode in the new studio. So we have a really, really wonderful guest in the studio today. Yes. Just to sort of like join in on the celebration along with us. Yeah, it's and, awesome. And a personal friend. Yeah. Friend of all, the show. Yeah, and also to bask in the energy of the full moon. So... Let's hope that all of our chakras are just blown open today, especially the throat. Yes. Yeah. So we have a really awesome fellow. We were talking to him before the podcast and uh, he wrote a really, really interesting book and he's going to discuss his story. And the book is actually called Finding Zoe Through Her Art. And he's going to discuss kind of like his journey and his story. And it's a really, really amazing story. We thought we'd actually bring him on because this guy's been on quite the journey, Jen. Yes, quite the journey. Yeah. Luke, yeah. we're so happy to have you. Thank you for having me. Yeah, Luke. It's yeah. amazing. Yeah, I've been feeling the energy today. Might be yeah. the fact that I'm on the podcast, yeah. but I'm here to re- release my energy. Anyway. Yeah. Oh, man, we're, I'm so happy to have you. So I have had the pleasure of reading and seeing your mother's art and the book, so tell us, just give us like a brief synopsis of the book. Tell us about it. So Finding Zoe Through Her Art is a son's journey to get to know his dead mother through her art. End tagline. So I've had to use that a lot, but, but it's, you need that elevator pitch. Oh, for sure. Yeah, my mom died when I was 18 mm-hmm. uh, and I'm 37 now. And at 18, I was a punk kid. Didn't really think too much about it. I was at college on the soccer team in a fraternity And when my mom passed, it was supposed to be intense, but I feel that I let it just go on. And I didn't mourn so much. I went through the ceremonies. Uh, We spread the ashes, which seemed comical, and just moved on. And I didn't think much about it. And I think a lot of that had to do with the way my relationship with her was before that, where I was more of just an independent kid, had good grades at school, focused on soccer, but didn't really, I don't have a lot of memories. I think yeah. it was, it was, it seemed sad. So as I got older and sort of in the thirties, I was in Chile on a long 12 hour, uh, 12 hour drive up North. And I wrote a letter to her sort of saying, Hey mom, just want to let you know here, here I am. How's my life, my update. Mm-hmm. At the time I was uh, married, had the dog, racing bikes. So just kind of let her know what you would in a, in a postcard kind of thing. Yeah. 
but there's a part in that letter where I talk about how when I last saw her, she she was in a walker. She had lupus and always struggled with lupus, big, big autoimmune deficiency. Yeah. And with that came so many complications. And part of that was she had a walker. So I remember going home, storming into the house, taking some food and clothes and whatever you do as a college kid when you go home. And she's like, look, look, don't, what, what, what do you think of, what do you think of my walker? And she kind of comes in. And I remember thinking that it was fake or it was just, it wasn't real. And I said, that looks pathetic. And sort of ran out the, ran out the door and wheelied away on my motorcycle into the sunset. And then, yeah. and then a week later she died. Mm. And that was the last I said to her was you look pathetic. Yeah. And, uh, and I, I'm, I'm at, con I'm content with where I stand with that now. And I wouldn't say that was the whole goal of the book, but because of that, I did feel like, wow, there shouldn't be a line such like that. There must be a way to speak with people mm, beyond sure. just the end of that. And so I tried to make a bunch of money selling her art because her art is, I think, objectively good. Objectively good. It's, it's pretty amazing. Yeah, it's phenomenal. Yeah, she's, yeah. she's quite the artist, yeah. But it's the eye in the beholder so many times. When you look at it, it's like, oh, that's good. And you can see a lot of really good art. So what yeah. makes one piece of really good art stand out to the next piece of really good art? So, so I thought, I'm going to find the stories behind the, the pictures. Mm -hmm. And I have a few of them. Uh, and I just sort of made announcements on Facebook and Twitter saying, hey, if anybody knows where these pictures are, I'd love to know. Mm -hmm. And then people sort of came out of the woodwork and said, hey, I met your mom 30 years ago. She came here to, to uh, visit me in the Appalachian Mountains and tells me the story of her painting the picture. And so that was just one uh, mm -hmm. of, of what, I think there's about 20 some chapters in there. Yeah. yeah. And we don't want you to give, give away all the stories on the show because we want to motivate people to get the book, right? Yeah. So tell us your favorite story out of the book. Do you have a favorite, like one encounter that you had that was really memorable that is just a great story? Yeah, I there's I, all the chapters are named after a person. Mm -hmm. And the Jeff chapter is maybe the longest, maybe the most of a story. While some of the other chapters are really quick, you can read them in a, in a few minutes. Uh, definitely a coffee table style read. The Jeff chapter is a full story of me visiting my mom's ex-husband before my dad. And I didn't know much about him. All I knew is that my mom was married before my dad. Uh, my grandparents had pictures of Jeff all throughout their house, but none of my dad. And I knew they never really got along. Yeah, but, I guess that's obvious, right? <laughs> so what was the problem? I don't know. So I reached out to Jeff, got an email back three months later and found out he's living in the, in the Northwest of the United States on sort of the border of Canada and Washington. Uh, and a really cute little island, maybe a thousand people live on it. it, takes to get there, you fly to Seattle, you drive three hours north, you get on a boat for two hours, and you get on the car, and, and off at the, get to the other side and meet Jeff, and he's just a long-haired, good-looking older guy, Yeah. Mm. and I googled him beforehand. So You're I'm almost head, dad. Yeah, my, <laughs> like, definitely, well, he was, he's like the anti-dad, really, if you think yeah. about it, because by his choices, I exist. Yeah. yeah which we would eventually get to in our yeah. sort of drunken nights in the middle of nowhere because his house was so remote. And mm. when I picked him up on the side of the road, I don't know why he was on the side of the road, uh, we went to, we went to the, the, like the local brewery, walked around, met maybe 20 people. He knew everybody and everybody he had introduced me to him. And he's like, this is my friend. And you could just see him struggle, mm. but what would you say? I yeah. You would have to say you're- his father, right? 
this is my ex's like it's his mother's first husband oh okay before his dad so yeah. i wasn't alive yet so yeah. they lived the sort of the the first love i think when you first everything is just yeah. golden rose tinted everything and they lived in chatsworth they had this nice farm mm -hmm. uh my That's mom was cool. english so she was all her family was in in england mm -hmm. and he lived in chatsworth and they had this farm uh, she's really big into animals, I learned. Mm -hmm. so, so anyways, through these few days, I spent a week with Jeff and mm -hmm. just asking about what was his life well, like wait, with her. You spent a week with him? I didn't realize that you were there for a week. Yeah, it's a so weird ask. So you just ask. like call him. Yeah, that's a super <laughs> weird ask. What you, and this like, was an attempt to just get to know your mother through his stories of his experience with her, right? Yeah, yeah. I didn't, didn't have a necess, necess, necessarily a point, but I went there mm -hmm. just to meet somebody who knew her in a time when I wouldn't, because I knew her as as a sick mother who was in bed a lot mm. and wasn't as probably present as she could have been for me. And so as my perspective, that's what I saw. And at the same time, I mean, around the time she passed away, you were also very young, right? You were like 18 years old. 18. And if I were to think back of kind of where I was at 18, I mean, there, my life was all over the place. Oh, I mean, sure. you're not as e emotionally evolved as an 18 year old yeah. and you're just still trying to figure out who you are. Right. So I imagine like uh, there was the, the peace with your mother, but at the same time, you're sort of on this journey to find yourself. And I imagine that this, this kind of journey and, and discovering who your mother is, is sort of like filling in the gaps of trying to figure out kind of where you fall as well. Like it's under, I feel like it, it helps to understand your lineage. Oh, 100%. You know? Yeah. Yeah, there was uh, there was always a battle of who I was then and mm -hmm. who I am now, and am I him or am I a version of him? Mm -hmm. And I, th I I don't I, I personally my philosophy in that is I am my current self, yeah, and I try and build on the past and move forward with intention. Yeah, absolutely. And don't dwell on it because I do. I have there's people in my life who have a different relationship with their lost person in their life. And I, and I find myself in this weird kind of brutish, non-sympathetic position because I, mm -hmm. I don't, I don't take, I, well, not, I don't show enough empathy for them because they are doing it in their own way. For me, I'd prefer to, and the book is a manifestation of my mom is still around mm -hmm. in a new form. Yeah. And in currently it takes the shape of this book and the people through the book. Mm -hmm. And it's nice to get that sense. I mean, they talk about ghosts and spirits in the world. When you go meet somebody who hadn't talked to about Zoe for 30 years, and then they pull off a picture off the side of their wall that was had always been up, yeah. and they talk about the time when they first got there and they're broke, broke people, but she knew Zoe needed some money, so she sort of asked, like, can you please make me a picture? Mm -hmm. yeah. Just add some spiders and some, some insects and... So yeah, so it's nice to see that time when, yeah. uh, as a human, not like not a mom, like you just think your mom's there to feed you and take you to soccer practice, and yeah. yeah. So yeah, it's nice to see that sort of friend side. Yeah, it's funny how we take our our family and our parents for granted when we're that young. Oh yeah, you know because you're you're just not in that state of development where you're appreciative of the things they're doing. It's like expected. So whenever yeah. she dies and you're 18 years old, you're still in that mind frame that they owe you something. Yeah. It's so weird, yeah. you know, to be an adult now and look back. 
yeah. on those relationships and you're like they know me shit yeah and there's i had this conversation <laughs> with somebody actually yesterday about the the journey that children go through and i think our modern society's interpretation is that at a certain age maybe pre-puberty the hormones start to kick in mm-hmm. and then they just all of a sudden just kind of come down with these you know little bouts of rage and and they just seem so misunderstood but the way that i see it is you know, from zero to maybe 10 or 11 years old, they're, they're filled with all of these sort of hopes, dreams, and they have a really large imagination. I mean, people up until that time are telling them that Santa Claus is real, Easter Bunny is real, all these different sort of avatars and archetypes exist. And as you get older, you start to realize that those things aren't real. Mm. And I think what children go through is that, that understanding and almost that acceptance of the fact that they've been lied to for a long time. And it's no surprise to me that when children get older, they become rebellious teenagers. Yeah. Because it's like, what can you believe if up until that point, you know, you imagined a very, very different life? And then I went through that. It's almost like that sort of archetypal um, journey that the spirit goes through. Every teenager goes through that sort of angry angsty oh, phase every teenager goes through that you know and i totally fucking get it like you know i i was raised very poor we you know my parents were very very young and had a bunch of kids so you know why would santa claus bring this person an xbox and me a pair of socks yeah. you know like i was a good girl this year right <laughs> So, yeah, yeah, yeah. It's yeah. funny the way that we look at things whenever we're children. Yeah. But we digress. I want to hear well, finish your well, story. What, <clears throat> so the Jeff story goes on where he tells me about the way he broke up with my mom, and or that's how it ended because there was no story. My family didn't know. They all liked Jeff. They didn't really understand. All they knew is that Zoe's in America and something had happened. Keep in mind back then you would write letters and mm. yeah correspondence would take weeks sort wax of thing. stamps yeah exactly <laughs> send a carrier pigeon so they were they had a party at their little farm in chatsworth and at the time my my dad dick is traveling around with some rock bands and he shows up at the party and he's just kind of the life of the party dick in the band dick yeah. in the band <laughs> richard in the band and, and so the, again this is how jeff tells me this story and so jeff tells me the story i'm just listening there. we're in the middle of nowhere we're looking over the the view into canada across the ocean apparently there's orcas in the water we didn't see any and he tells me the story of how how, how my dad shows up selling coke t- at the party uh, at some point, Jeff looks down the hallway, sees my mom kissing my dad, mm-hmm. and Jeff freaks out. Tells his friends are holding him back. Don't, don't, don't do anything. Mm-hmm. And from from that, uh, nothing came of it. But Jeff never forgave her, mm-hmm. never forgave her. And and she would she's she would desperately try. Like Jeff, nothing happened. Nothing happened. And two weeks later, Jeff got in a he was he's, he, the way he tells it. He was a bit aggravated, a little upset, and he goes for a bike ride in Ojai, California. Oh, I love Ojai. Known for a motorcycle ride, and I've done it a few times myself. And he ends up crashing, gets stuck under a car, burns ninety percent of his body. Wow. And at this oh. point, he's kind of like telling me the story, and you can pull his shirt back, and you just see see the burns on on his body. Great mm-hmm. looking guy. You could totally. That's what everybody used to tell me that he was a good looking guy. Yeah. And so he burned his body, he's in the hospital for six months. While he's there, he chooses to not let my mom visit. Mm-hmm. And during that time, she pulls away and just needs something and finds my dad, and they hit it off at that point. Oh, wow. And here you are. And here I am. What and did I did thank him that. There was a moment I told Jeff, I said, Jeff, thank you, because mm-hmm. I wouldn't be here. We couldn't have this conversation without your choices. Because you could tell his, his regret 
was strong. Mm-hmm. Yeah. He for not seeing her while he was in the hospital. Yeah. He know. never forgave her. And now he does. Mm-hmm. And to loop it back to what you both just reminded me with your, what you're saying, how these Akashic records, which I just learned from you both, <laughs> how it's not just everything, but it's all, all time at mm-hmm. all times. Yeah. So it's talking to Jeff or Cindy or the Kathleen, the other people in this book, you get, you get to hang out with a version of Zoe at that time mm-hmm. and learn about it. And that was sort of me accessing that record at that point in time. Yeah. Yeah. That was your form of time travel. Yeah. So what, totally. and what is one thing that you learned about your mom through Jeff? She was violent, yeah. a, lot of, a lot of hitting. Mm-hmm. I think I saw her hit my dad a few times. Yeah. And sort of weird, I, in my head, these memories of like weird punches where you're just like, that's, that's like not what you see on TV, mm-hmm. just sort of just domestic, mm-hmm. like, wow. And my dad was, my dad will forever, ever love my mom and mm-hmm. gave her everything. And uh, I think he, he takes dislike to the book because I don't go deep into his story mm-hmm. because I think there's, a, there's more to the story. Mm-hmm. And during the course of this book, I could only know Jeff's story. I couldn't know that my dad's. So yeah. my dad's sort of unspoken at this point. Yeah. So definitely want him to know i know but it presents this idea of who's real yeah what yeah. version of the memory exists because i have versions of my mom that are not what people have told me yeah and i tell them stuff and they don't know anything about all the self-harm she went to and the crazy lengths of like me spending eight hours a day in aa classes following her around and all these things where they're like oh oh wow didn't didn't know all that yeah so it's almost like you're witnessing the fact that that obviously your mom was on her own journey too and it never really stops. And the beautiful thing I, I when you bring up the Kashuk records is that came up for me is um, you essentially came from your mom. I mean, your lineage exists inside of your veins and that never, ever stops. At one point you were actually her when, you know, she was birthing you inside of her body. So we have our entire ancestry inside of our veins. So everything that you experience in, in some way, and I almost almost feel like this book, this this memoir, this this book that you created in an effort to try and understand her, it's almost awakening these sort of like the, the DNA of your mother inside of you that already mm. exists. Yeah. You know what I mean? And I saw the imagery in the book and it's it's phenomenal. And there's so many dimensions to the art. And it makes me curious as to kind of what ultimately was the message that she was trying to convey. But what I also, I'm, when I'm looking at this, I'm looking at this one that almost looks like a butterfly. I would read this in the same way that I would read a tarot card oh, or sure. an oracle card because yeah. there's so much imagery here and it, and it pulls from my own sort of experience. And that's the wonderful thing about the archetypal journey that the, the human and the spirit goes through is that everybody can relate to pain. Everybody can relate to happiness and everybody, mm. can, everybody can relate to the journey. And I 100%. feel like this art almost in a way represents all of that. I can pull all those different type of emotions out of this image. So it makes me uh, wonder, I mean, uh, obviously what her intention was behind it, but I can see all of the, the anger that you're talking about that she conveyed when she was younger or, you know, their whole journey is in this artwork, it yeah. seems like. You know what I mean? Yeah, well put. I yeah. mean, it, what is an artist's goal in the end? to elicit that out of you yeah. you if you can. Yeah. As an artist, like sometimes I don't know, sometimes I really don't know what I'm trying to convey in a piece. It just kind of comes out on its own. And then in the end I'm looking at it and I'm like, Ooh, yeah. Okay. Well that one was a little darker, you know, and half of the stuff that I do, I throw away. I don't even keep. So, Mm -hmm. you know, I think that it, 
it's hard to identify exactly how you're feeling whenever you're beginning a piece. It's you don't really understand it until it's done. If that yeah. makes sense. Yeah, yeah, that's true. Like the, the creative sort of force of just creativity in general yeah. is 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 a place that is obviously unnameable. It doesn't have a definition for it. It's like all the great music that exists mm-hmm. comes from like a, a, a it, I think an artist's real intention behind creating art is to try and express the inexpressible. Yeah, right? exactly. That's exactly it. Because you're not trying to convey words. Right. You're just trying to convey a feeling. A feeling, yeah. You know? And that's what art is, is a feeling. And if you're ever buying art or looking to purchase art, I tell people all the time, don't pick something that matches your house. Yeah. Pick something that elicits a feeling that makes you makes you love it and that you're drawn to and that you derive pleasure from because that's the art that you'll keep if you if you're buying art that live laugh love you know <laughs> shit in the you know golden green or whatever to match your couch the, the, um, decor, the decor section at target oh don't even give me on that. yeah <laughs> yes don't don't buy your art from there you know really art art is an expression of of the insides of the artist and, mm-hmm. you know, pick something that calls to you. Yeah. Did you feel a lot of guilt for a long time? I mean, at what point did you stop maybe feeling guilty over kind of how you guys departed? It wasn't a single moment, but it came. It yeah. wasn't, I, I don't think I intentionally meditated for that or looked for it by virtue of talking through it and writing and when you write and then edit and then triple edit and over and over again, mm-hmm. it, you internalize it in a way that makes it comfortable. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And to the point where I think an interesting thought experiment always is like, well, what would you say if she was sitting right here in this podcast right now? Like how, how would you, what would you want to say to her? And, and I feel I could talk about that guilt directly to her. Mm-hmm. And you don't have to let it inside because I think so much of like what you're just saying with this art is I got tingles when you said it. It's an expression of a feeling, emotion of something, because I don't think my my mom was definitely known for just fucking with people. She'd draw stuff just to piss them off, like make sure the boob was out and then she knew they didn't like boobies or something. (laughs) And and that's that's the emotion. But I think, to be honest, for her, it was her release. Mm-hmm. It was for her. She would, she almost, she didn't sell any. The only time she sold any, they, she did a Eagle on a gas tank for a Hell's Angel guy where we used to live. And he, the next day she had hundreds of orders and then she turned them down, just said, I'm never doing it again. Mm-hmm. So the money wasn't a thing prior to my dad's dismay. Uh, but she did it for herself. And, and, uh, it's in so the last chapter I talk about Sherry and Sherry was interesting because all I knew about Sherry was she triggered my mom and that was told to me by certain people and and it's a weird one to think or hear because you wonder what does that mean to trigger and my, so my mom struggled with alcoholism depression I knew she hurt, hurt herself and and the and Sherry was a friend Sherry was her best friend growing up and she Sherry was the daughter of another pilot my mom was the daughter of a pilot. And they would and pilot in England and pilot in San Francisco. 
and they would swap kids effectively so the pilots could just and so oftentimes they'd end up in san francisco or oftentimes you'd end up traveling to morocco with sherry in their sort of early 20s so plenty That's of stories cool. wow of that goes but sherry is she is an intense individual to be around she's mm -hmm. one of these people who's i i think she's a beautiful person and inside and out does it slightly obliquely to the rest of us where it you just have to, you have to be on your guard in a almost for me to stop reacting in a way I don't like to react and I could see how my mom could have these reactions where Sherry'd show up and then Sherry talks about stories of her and my mom just dripping blood into a bucket and mm -hmm. and I, I bring this up because you talk about the art as a way to for her to get out. I mean, there's definitely some dark images in the book. There's even darker images elsewhere. And, you know, people ask you like, well, what do you think that means? You just kind of want to go to the obvious. Like, I don't know. That looks like she had mother issues and mm -hmm. she yeah. su suffered from depression. She felt like she was in a cage right. and you see these images and you can't look beyond that. Where and did you find the artwork initially? Like, did she have it just laying around her house? Did she have it like a kind of archived in books? when she so they're pretty big they're about two anywhere from one to three feet mm -hmm. and uh, pencil drawings and we had some in frames some not in frames some were a lot were given away when she died we had a memorial and people just came to the house and as a means of mourning my dad chose to just get rid of everything mm -hmm. and uh and that is that is also one of the stories in the book which gets back to sherry where while we're shopping for a router she confesses she thinks my dad killed my mom wow what and the reason is my mom would confess to sherry about this girl barb rue that mm -hmm. my dad was talking about talk, seeing and barb rue was his brother's ex-wife so that was years ago but nonetheless two brothers similar people and the fact that my mom would say like she's like i don't know like we're, they seem to be talking a lot so then after my mom passed within i can't remember the time frame i think it's like a year and a half mm -hmm. he was married to barb rue mm -hmm. now he definitely didn't do it for financial gain that's for sure um as it probably left him worse off but nonetheless for people like sherry who heard that and then time goes by here's Zoe passes time goes by now my dad's married to Barbara. You could see how people could come to that that logical conclusion. Yeah, mm -hmm. for sure. And knowing my dad, it's nothing to do with it. I think it's just a matter of you get to that time in life. If anybody shows you affection, and It'll you relate it. to them, yeah, yeah. And and you're both grieving. Like that's super common with people who are grieving the death of a mutual person. Yeah. You know, to end up together, like there's, I don't know, some some comfort in grief. My dad would say how he, I think he was resentful of Sherry because as good as a friend as she was, she wasn't appropriately a friend at the end. Yeah. And when people are really stressing the line of of suicide, hurting themselves, being sick, mm -hmm. and Sherry didn't seem to grasp that. She's always she's always not she's sort of superficially uh, understanding of people. Mm -hmm. yeah. So if you don't really have that deep empathy for people, it could be really annoying, really. Yeah. And especially when somebody's severely sick. And my dad and my other, my mom's other best friend, Lynn, were, I think, cherry around and didn't help, I feel. Yeah, mm. and you know, it's really, it's really tough. And I, I'm gonna play devil's advocate here for Sherry because a lot of people really experience this with people who have autoimmune diseases. So your mom had lupus and um, I have ankylosing spondylitis, which is also an autoimmune disease and kind of in the same family. Um, and 
it's invisible. So people don't really see it on you until you start to have loss of function and loss of movement. But it's very hard. It's not like cancer where you physically see someone decline and they're losing their hair and they're so weak and they, it just happens so rapidly. I mean, it's a slow progressing disease. So, you know, in Sherry's defense, it's, I'm sure she knows your mother as a child and, you know, perfectly healthy. And as she got ill, as the years went on, um, it's such a slow progression and it's something that you don't see. It's not like Jeff getting burned and there's burns and you can see that he's injured. You know, it's, uh, it's all happening inside on your joints and your organs. Yeah. Well, it makes you hopeful that your true friends in life as the years go by can appreciate and love you in all your forms. hundred percent. And it's totally tough when you don't see them in the midst, in the middle, you don't know the transition. You don't, right. you have to deal with it. Yeah. And so, just remind you that when I look at this, this artwork, so by the way, I mean, I coming from somebody that is, is has been kind of immersed in the new age sort of metaphysical world for a long time and seeing a lot of imagery from a lot of different artists and obviously even psychedelic artists or even just new age artists i mean i see a lot of sort of spiritual themes in this i mean there's mm -hmm. like a, an, a sort of like an eye here and i'm just trying to describe this bird's eye view chapter where it has like a bird with its like wings open and it has like this sort of eye that's illuminating this light what are some things that you get from these images when you look at them like as far as feeling like how do you interpret some of these images that particular one, I, so when she drew, she was very close to the paper, oh, really? three inches away. Mm. And I love that because in my programming that I do nowadays, it is a talent and a half I th have to be able to keep large systems in my head without sort of seeing mm -hmm. what the whole, like without like a visual. Yeah. And it, may, it just boggles my mind that she could have her, her, her eye three inches from that super detailed picture mm -hmm. and pick out that little world at that point in that, in that sphere mm -hmm. and draw, draw it to enough detail where it tells its story. And there's another one, if you could pull up the, the wasp. Oh yeah. The, oh, the wasp, wasp is, is amazing. Cool. And the reason really I like, good. so the wasp is on top of a tall opium plant which I call it, I said it was a dandelion and I've only since found out that my mom was big into opium. Mm -hmm. <laughs> and like, like she used to take it back in the day? I think towards like with my dad and, mm. and, it, and I hear this stuff and I, wow. it makes me wonder when, I mean, there's definitely nights where I was the last guy at soccer practice and you're mm -hmm. just sort of not getting picked up and <laughs> you got to eventually call your neighbor's mom, your neighbor's mom to come get you. And you think, wow, maybe I wonder if she was just sort of in it. I, I mean, I don't know. I presume it's different than when I did it in the jungles of Thailand. It's, it's probably a little different just in your house. Mm -hmm. So she, but uh, opium was, she was, was the then, quintessential yeah. bohemian artist. I think yeah. I feel like you could just see her in, in the, in those scenes that we all have in our heads about it. Yeah, I definitely feel that. Actually, I, I've shared this story with Jen before where I, I have a friend named um, Charlotte Victoria and she is an artist now, but she wasn't always an artist. She had this um, sort of mystical experience um, one day and she came back from it with the sudden urge to just start creating artwork. Mm. And she never picked up a, a pen and a pencil, pen and a paper before. And she wasn't really well versed in art, even when she tried back then. But when she came back from this experience, all of a sudden she just became this immaculate artist, artist almost overnight, wow. you know, and 
she's kind of on this journey of trying to figure out kind of where that came from. But I feel like just people intuitively tap into that creative sort of force. Maybe it exists on the fourth dimension. But when I see imagery like this, um, it makes me wonder of all of these images that they talk about in the fourth dimension, like Raymond Moody or Edgar Casey, when they try and get artists or when they themselves try and uh, interpret this information through artwork, it has this sort of like whimsical, very ethereal, otherworldly quality. So there's this part of me that thinks maybe, would you think that she had these sort of intuitive, almost like psychic abilities of channeling that information on paper? I'd like to think so. Yeah. We had more crystals than I've seen in this house, at our house. Oh, really? <laughs> we had more animals than were appropriate for where we live. Mm -hmm. and, and from what I've heard, she's all, it's always been the case. <clears throat> there's all these there's so, there's so many stories about birds landing on her a hummingbird landing on her finger and her having a crow that she could call and it would land on her shoulder mm -hmm. and going to a, a a field full of wild horses and one would show up and she would just ride it bareback and yeah. it's, it's, the imagery is impressive to the point where you think is it just making it up but she always always had a connection with animals mm -hmm. it comes out a lot in her art mm -hmm. probably predominantly is animal art oh yeah she's got hummingbirds everywhere <laughs> definitely hummingbirds yeah. she yeah. had all spiders had six legs all insects had four legs mm -hmm. even that wasp that you looked oh, at that's right had yeah. only four that's but really I, I brought up the wasp because i wanted i didn't know if there's more to it because i I've been told that wasp is a reflection as if they're in a window. So there's a bunch of windows throughout yeah. its reflection. And there's so many layers right. to the wasp too. It's like you zoom in and it just, it almost becomes this like fractal thing where it's like, it's a wasp. But once you zoom in, it becomes so many different other things. There's yeah. a lot going on in there. Yeah. You and know, the wasp was, uh, it's three feet tall by maybe 10 inches cut into three separate pieces. Did and you? When I, I took that and I, because part of the, doing the book is to take the art, scan it, and then I can give it back to the owners or, or keep it. So it's digitally forever going to survive. So she gave it away, but she also sold it? She never sold it. She never sold no, it? No. So here I am finding it all and just nobody's getting in my way, at least not yet. Mm -hmm. And But that, that wasp, I blew up to 10 feet tall and it currently hangs in my house. And mm -hmm. it's a great example of me learning how to do hardwood and framing it and then hanging it in my house. And it looks, it looks spectacular. And I, a big thing I've gotten from this is not only just learning how to write a book and designing a book and producing something that telling the story, mm -hmm. learning the videos and the podcasts and the whatever else you have to learn, but becoming or being able to say I was an artist, <clears throat> that was a big one for me. Yeah. I don't think I would have said that before. I think I was a programmer. Yeah, you could build cool stuff, but mm -hmm. you wouldn't appreciate like the, yeah, I wouldn't appreciate building stuff. It's almost like the complexity is there though, because I mean, programming and coding is really, really complex. You know what I mean? Yeah. The one thing that I respect about this and in your process of trying to understand your mother through the artwork is it's almost like you're trying to understand the purest aspect of who she is. Yeah. I mean, she can tell you stories and people have told me tons of stories, but there's something about the way somebody conveys or tries to convey a feeling that is so much more pure and, uh, it's, it's, it's not so much um, uh, obscured by the way that the mind sort of articulates information. Yeah. You know, so I think this is a really, really beautiful. I wonder uh -huh. if I would have appreciated the art like I do now if she was still around. Yeah. 
you know, it's hard to say. I, I would say probably not. Uh, when you're going through the grieving process, like this is an expression of your grief is doing this book, right? So my question is, do you feel like she's been present during the creation of this book? Like, because you had a very successful Kickstarter and, you know, the the book is beautiful and a successful finished product. Do you feel like, did you feel her presence there helping you along the way? Yeah, I felt her through me. She wasn't external. It was always me. Mm-hmm. And I would catch myself thinking like, oh, wow, <clears throat> I am my I am my mom's son in, yeah. in that sense. Yeah. And I th- believe that guilt we've mentioned already there's so much that i was i was too good i was the nerds kid who gets the scholarship and get out of here get leave this home Mm -hmm. and i didn't give it a chance to appreciate as you mentioned i am her Yeah. yeah and and that's that's hard to accept because you think you're yourself and it's not that i am i'm only her i'm her with everything else yeah it's like there there's this uh the sage, they call him the sage of Arunachala. His name is Sri Ramana Maharshi from the East. He was existed in Tiruvannamalai, India, back in, I mean, the 30s, 40s, and 50s. And they called him the, the silent prophets. But the one interesting thing about him is when he passed away, when he left his body, he, he consciously decided to leave his body one day. And one of his followers came up to him and they're like, sir, we don't want you to go. And he's like, where could I go? It's like, I'm always going to be here and I'm always going to be inside of you. Because I think what happens is when people pass away, you essentially become the purest form of consciousness. And that's undifferentiated between anything else that anybody else is. It's almost like she becomes the purest aspect of who you are. And uh, it makes sense that you would be her and her and she would be you. Yeah. You know, there's a there's definitely a bit of a portal aspect to it where mm-hmm. I'll meet people and I, I had to avoid this theme being repeated too much in the book because it happened every time. But you'd meet these people, you talk to them, mention what you're doing and get talking with them. And you could just tell they would wander back to the time with her. Really? So I was her for them, mm-hmm. at least to activate what something in their head, some memory, some, some part of life that was buried, didn't want to remember. And they would, I, would get a, I would get a slice of it. And I always felt a little bit, I was intruding. Mm-hmm. And I got, I think at the beginning, I felt I was intruding and towards the end of it, I embraced it mm-hmm. because I, I got a lot out of it myself. Mm-hmm. I was going through divorce, going through just tough part of life anyways, myself. So it seemed like a nice place to hide, but it wasn't hiding. It was more in the open than anything. And mm-hmm. it, it was, it was nice to bring others with me. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So when she used to share the, when those people that felt compelled to share stories with you, um, what was the energy of those? Were they happy stories? Were they all different types of memories? They were happy stories, except for the people really close to her. Mm-hmm. And and there, I have leads for the next book because there's another twenty plus pictures I got to find and I got to write the stories there. Where I think it it takes a darker turn. I mm-hmm. think it's easy to do to recount the the great memories we all have through our lives, but the long line of her the, her story arc is is a tough one, I think. Mm-hmm. And it's one that people don't like to talk about because you were around and you think maybe you could have done more mm-hmm. or you could have avoided it. Mm-hmm. And and I struggle a bit to even endeavor down that route. So I got sort of the names and the numbers to, to start talking with. And and uh, it's, it's scary to think that's the route. And maybe it's not. 
and I, I question myself that maybe that's not the direction I need to take. What is my intention with finding more? But I do know there's more to the story that her story, at least that seems like it was like, why did she end up being depressed and suicidal and, mm -hmm. and hurting herself? Mm -hmm. And there's that, that I don't think I touch on the book. It alludes to a bit, but the, each story is, each story is more of a flowery version. I mm -hmm. think each one re remembered that, and even some of them were flowery, but at the same time were around dark circumstances. But it made me feel that is life for all of us. Mm -hmm. We right. all have a dark moment in our days. As, as energetic as I felt today and inspired to come here, you still feel anxiety, you still feel these things. So right. it's nice to feel the raw human. So all the names in that book, I definitely have to thank them for so much because it was them, by them revealing themselves, I found myself and I feel that I am my mom. So yeah. by doing my, finding myself, I could find my mom, which was yeah. amazing. That's a beautiful story. When I think of that whole journey, I mean, it sounds like a journey that someone would take in an effort to find God. Do you know what I mean? And essentially, I think that's what everybody's doing, just in different ways. It reminds me of this uh, this uh, this movie that I watched a while back. By it was about Ram Das, right? And if you're familiar with oh, Ram yeah. Das, he's was really like a, pr a really prolific Eastern teacher, but it was also based in the West. And he was a Harvard pro Harvard professor that turned into an Eastern spiritual teacher during the sort of Timothy Leary tune in and drop out phases of the '60s, and. Um, there, in this movie, it's actually called Fierce Grace, there was a couple whose daughter uh, committed suicide. And they were just so, so just destroyed, completely destroyed their family. And they wrote a letter to Ram Das, and um, he invited them to come and see him. So they came down to meet with Ram Das, and of course they shared the story. They couldn't understand why it happened. And Ram Das... Um, just in a really graceful, sort of eloquent way, was just like, you know, in in the end, she she did get you guys did give birth to her, but she's a child of the universe, and people come to Earth for very specific types of work, and she did all the work that she needed to do, and it was she had decided prior to this life to touch the people and help the people in 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 her life evolve. And then when her work was done, she left. And we see the aspect of suicide as being a negative thing. But in the grand scheme of how source works, it's not looked at so much in a really negative way. Mm -hmm. I mean, it, 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 anytime somebody leaves the earth, it's looked at as an unfortunate thing. She had to go out some way. And what I think when uh, the process of somebody committing suicide is the impact that they make on other people, mm -hmm. right? What ended up happening was it set you on this journey to finding yourself. And that could have been her job. That could have been her work. That could have been lifetimes and lifetimes of work of, you know, wanting to do this compassionate work for other people. But the beautiful thing about what you're telling me as this story is it got you to start really, really like looking into the deeper aspects of life and who she is and who you are. I think it's a beautiful process. Yeah. Wow. And I'd like yeah. to comment on that too, because I know you as a personal friend and um, as the Luke that I know is very cerebral 
and you just kind of say what's on your mind and you know everything is kind of uh, based in fact or based in science so i think feeling is something that you kind of struggle with so this book i have seen in in the process of this book coming to fruition um you opening up a little bit more Mm. and emotionally and i think that that's great and probably well almost definitely the process right like part of part of her mission yeah, um, it's like she's your guru. Yeah, she's your teacher. Yeah, you both just gave me tingles there. Yeah, like the, her her final art piece. Is, yeah, here I her am. Final right? art piece. Oh, absolutely. I love that. I love yeah. that. Absolutely, You're oh. like a living embodiment of her artwork. Yeah, you know? it's great. you know what? You should put that as the last page in your second book. Oh, that is good. Yeah, a picture of you as her final art piece. Yeah, and yeah. how it's changed you. Yeah, ending the book was tough because I don't I don't know what the end is. It's more. It was a just. I felt good, but I do feel i i think the last chapter is luke and zoe i started with luke and then it's luke and zoe and it was it was cathartic for sure there's definitely a lot of experiences I mean, there, be, behind the scenes is also the desire to travel the mm-hmm. desire to just meet new people mm-hmm. which she had that in spades yeah. so again to learn about that and realize like oh yeah that's that's your mother for sure. Have you tried picking up a pencil and, and and maybe some brushes and tried to make some art? I haven't. I haven't. I've done a few of the wine, 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 wine nights or Pictionary games, but no, I haven't. I wonder. Imagine. Uh, but Jen knows all too well. Uh, I've built a huge, giant art piece for Burning Man this last, or two years ago. Oh, wow. You did, yeah. And it took me six months in this big cloud room and... <laughs> turned into a place where people were fucking and we were catching humans with goggles that's covered you, in lights. That's how you know you make it, man. Yeah. You got the burners in there fucking. Yeah. And that turned into right. me taking a house or a room in my house and covering the ceiling and making it sound reactive. And that'd be actually good sound for this room. Must so yeah. Is, is and my that? husband was like, oh yeah, we need to do the cloud room like Luke has in his room in our kitchen. I was like, uh, no, we're not going to do the cloud room in our kitchen. Just, Did you do a cloud room yeah. thing? It, was yeah. that a Burning Man? Yeah. I feel like I saw uh, pictures or video of it. Yeah. You where people like, were like laying on their back and there was just sort of like these yeah. clouds, sort and of like formations. Yeah. And then I put a, a red button that you'd press it and it would change the lights. And, and that was you. Yeah. If it was that big, it wasn't. Mine was a 10 foot square or cube. Yeah. So if you saw something big, it wasn't me. It was something like that. So you actually had it showcased and you had uh, an art installation at Burning Yeah. Man. Yeah. Oh, wow. How long it was that the first one that you did or did you do them before? It was my second year going. The first year I didn't do anything. The second year you immediately think I must do, I must build, must contribute. Like you inspired. don't have to. And yeah. spent the better part of 20 grand to build a wooden room with mylar that was definitely a little sloppy yeah. that reflected the wind the sides <laughs> yeah some 2800 leds running in it used used uh, nets and and uh, doll stuffing for the clouds what, what do you think it is about burning man that inspires people to create art or at least for you for me it was the feeling that everybody else made such compelling and amazing and it just just impresses the hell out of you stuff mm-hmm. i felt i had to give back mm-hmm. Which is a which is a trait I have in life. I feel in general, if Jen invites me over for dinner and we have a good time, like just feel compelled to either invite back a dinner or send flowers. It yeah. just just 
part of leaving leaving a place better than where you left it, which is mm-hmm. improvement. And, yeah, I love that. Are you going to do another? I mean, did you have another one planned for this year? I know they didn't have they had a virtual one this year, but are you going to continue making art for Burning Man? Yeah, I want to make long distance lights that are sort of 10 foot poles that you can control. Mm-hmm. And because you have a, a, a vast span, a expanse of darkness you can use. So right. come up with a way to do a big story. A giant COVID stick. A giant COVID stick would be yeah. cool. How does it feel when you see people enjoying your artwork at the Burning Man? It was amazing. Yeah. There were the few times I, there's two people I saw having sex in there. There's another <laughs> time I saw like 12 people all cuddled up in there. And then I storm in, don't know what I was on, but I storm in there, sta- slam on the red button and, and change the light. And they're all, Ooh. Ooh. But by far and away, one of my better memories that trip was was fishing for humans because you put put a goggle with some lights on it and you cast it out in the middle of the road. So there's a picture of me with like my captain outfit and just reeling it in. And then when somebody would bend over to grab the the, the light, I'd pull it away. Yeah, suck them in. It's like but, you never know how you impact other people. I mean, especially at Burning Man. I mean, that couple that was making love in that space or the people that were enjoying it. I mean, I I, I have a lot of friends that go to Burning Man and they talk about it like it's just heaven on earth. And I believe them. And I've been to just various other transformational festivals, which I imagine are kind of various varying degrees of what Burning Man is, but it changes their life in a, in a way that most people can't imagine unless they go to a place like that. So I I imagine I've heard people talking about different types of artwork there and how much it impacted them. So I just think of all the people that enjoyed that piece that probably have that memory and they'll be able to take that memory with them. You know, a problem I have with the book is I struggle to commit to saying I'm an author. Even in my bio coming here, I say I'm a programmer and I'm not willing to commit hundred percent into being an author and promoting the book and only doing this. I I got 2000 of those books in a garage, not too far from here. Uh, Better do something with them. Right. But At Burning Man, you quickly fall headfirst into a thing that takes you to the brink of madness. (laughs) And in the regular world, we don't have that. And this is why CrossFit became so popular. Because CrossFit, within eight minutes, suddenly your heart rate's at 220 beats, and you've never been here before, and you feel it just the endorphins are crazy. And they got you there without telling you. And at Burning Man, suddenly you have to really take yourself to, to almost extinction and then it all comes together. And that, that sort of release, that satisfaction at a few psychedelics involved is a, is a feeling you can't replicate. You, yeah. it, and, and we should, I think in the real life, if we can make our work so intense and so free of fail safe where everybody doesn't really want to commit to trying something okay to fail, try experimentation. I think we'd be better off. There would be obviously some failures and errors, but at the same time you'd, you'd innovate and you can go mm-hmm. higher as opposed to the status quo that I think we, t- it's just safer. Yeah. Just mm-hmm. ride, ride the, ride the safe car. Don't get on the bike, even though the bike's the right way to go. Was, but everybody's, are, everybody's scared of bikes. It almost seems like you are kind of taking, um, you, you, I, I see the influence and the fact that obviously your mother was an artist and you're also an artist too. And it's almost like she's, she is living through you in some ways. Do you ever thought of like maybe taking her art and making them into installations? Yes. Yeah. That would be yeah. so cool. So I've already done, there's a dandelion. I don't know if you've seen that oh, one. Yeah, the the yeah. dandelion is one of my favorite. I'm a Leo. 
Luke oh. Edward Allett. So there's a hippie mom getting involved, spelling my initials. <laughs> oh, Leo like, the lion. And That's I'm, where and I'm how a Leo. She, yeah, how she named the lion photo. Yeah. I wanted to say that your mom is probably also a psychic because I'm looking at Luke and Tuffy the tripod, and the hummingbird is holding a cube, and you are holding a pencil. So a pencil as an author and the so, cube from Burning Man. Wow. So that's supposed to be, that's him, right? Yeah, oh, that's I him. didn't put that together. Look at that. Shit. Yeah, look at that cat. And the, and yeah, we got the Tuffy the tripod at yeah, a garage the three-legged cat. And then, you know, the books are all the stories that you're probably compiling. Right. Of hers. Yeah, that's a good point. Don't think then, of that. And then you're standing on, the, and I'm just reading this in the same way that I would intuitively read cards, and based right. off of the information that you shared with me, the fact that you're on these books, I think, shows that these books elevated you to a certain place of awareness to where you're able to recognize what this bird is showing you. Yeah. And the structure of that bird, just like Jen says, is obviously a piece that you probably <laughs> find it. at Burning Man. And then I feel like I see like this little moon-like structure as sort yeah. of like source behind you kind of has your back that's guiding you you to this bird Mm -hmm. it's guiding you to this place you know yeah so maybe programming isn't isn't the way maybe you're supposed to be an artist and an author yeah and that's not an easy process it's not you know the best art comes from it's like in 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 buddhism what they call it mara and then in hinduism they call it the lila which is the divine play and the divine the divine drama is basically the polarities uh coexisting with one another which is you know you have to acknowledge that the shadow exists in unison with the light like they both and this is what i've talked to jen about this before when i think of beauty like when i think of intrinsic beauty i think it i think of it as happiness and sadness and love and pain in balance you know like when i when i when i listen to a song that's really truly beautiful or when i listen to or when i I read a book that is is really really truly beautiful it has the suffering in there you know it has the the that beautiful journey of the light and the shadow because i mean how do you get to that place Mm. how do you get to that place of understanding unless you've gone to the depths of what i guess the absence of that would be you know yeah we got to challenge yourself have you heard of uh the imperfect piano that keith jarrett does the cone concert oh no what is that and he has to do a concert, an improvisational jazz concert to 4,000 people somewhere in Köln, Germany, I believe. And he gets there and he doesn't have the right piano. It's not tuned. And he says, I won't play. I won't play. And because the girl, the organizer begged and pleaded, he said, fine, I'll play. Mm-hmm. But don't expect anything great. And out of that untuned bad piano came the most sold piano album ever. Wow. <laughs> yeah, and when you listen to it, it has this, what you're saying, where it has the sadness, it has the happiness, it yeah. has, you can hear him tr- struggling with the piano, but through that struggle comes comes amazing music and ultimately, like, unending fame. Yeah. You remember that, that piano we had in our house that I painted? Um, I painted red. It was uh, Ryan's grandmother's piano, and when she passed away, nobody in the family wanted the piano. So he was like, hey, do we have a spot for it? I was like, sure do. Bring that piano on over here. So I painted it, and then Eric came over one night and played it. <laughs> and it was so out of tune. Oh, it yeah. sounded like a haunted house. Like, <laughs> <laughs> like the haunted mansion. Yeah, uh, the haunted mansion. It was like... He was like, this piano's really out of tune. I was like, yeah, I could tell. Yeah. That was the best out of tune piano I played, though. It was good. It was good. Have you heard of oblique strategies? No, no. The idea is to read a card. Uh, like, so you want to solve, I want to learn how to do, I want 
to learn how to do better podcasts or I want to learn how to speak without saying like and um or whatever. Mm-hmm. And then you address that problem and you turn over a card and it says, how do you build a wall without bricks? That's all it says. And you have to apply that thought to your desire to not to not use hesitation words or whatever it might be. Mm-hmm. And by doing that, your brain suddenly switches a little bit, just thinks of the problems obliquely and mm-hmm. slightly different. It just yeah. makes a different pathway. Yeah, exactly. And I, I, I just, I, I, I confess I don't do it enough and I fall victim to, to delay tactics, whether it be booze, booze or drugs or just watching TV. Yeah. And it sucks to think that I should be challenging myself more those oblique strategies can help you do that yeah. it's like what Deepak Chopra says when they're like you know don't think outside of the box just get rid of the box right yeah. you know because yeah, every every essentially every sort of idea in, in in a lot of ways is um it we're all we're all I think in consciousness collectively all together are all kind of uh every thought that exists everything that is said has been said before Right. So we're all just trying to recreate various levels of the same thing. But when we tap into the creative realm, it really involves that we get out of our heads and just tap more into, I want to say maybe like the heart chakra, more of a feeling based, mm. you know, cause I, I, and I know exactly what that's like too, because it can be so easy to get so technical and so sort of rational about art and it ceases to be art when mm. it becomes over intellectual, yeah. you know? So it's just about finding sort of like that balance and like really tapping into that creative sort of force. So this is, I'm going to digress a little bit because you brought up um, Deepak Chopra. So number one, I didn't know that he lived in La Jolla. He lives by us. Did you know that? In La Jolla? Yeah. No, I didn't know that actually. Yeah. So he lives in La Jolla. I know. I do know that the Deepak, the, the Chopra Institute is I think down in uh, Ensenada, like down more towards, I think San Diego. Yeah. 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 So yeah, makes sense because that's right by where he lives. Yeah. So I saw this um, article yesterday and I posted it because I thought it was like perfect timing um, with the election and the, oh the debate. Yeah, yeah. We're not going to get into that. But Deepak Chopra wrote, um, wrote an article for the New York Times and it says how to have a disagreement like an adult, according mm-hmm. to Deepak Chopra. Yeah. So if you haven't read that, it's really good. It's uh, gives it like six or seven tips on how to have a disagreement with Are the another tips in person. There? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Let's just go over them really quick. Okay. All right. Yeah. Well, we'll see what Luke has to say about these tips. I love we'll it. Sort of kind of yeah. go together. Well, okay. So step one is choose if you even want to engage. So I think that this is super important because sometimes it, somebody is just so heated right. and they're at a 10 and you're at a two yeah. and maybe not the best time to engage. They're not going to listen to anything that you say. You mm. got it. Right. You got it. Like they 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 got their 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 um, cortisol and their adrenaline pumping through their veins. They can't even think correctly. But also, you could be engaged. You could be at a ten, but then you need to somehow know, like, what am I? What is? What am I arguing about? Sometimes right. you don't even know. Yeah, that's true. You know, Rogan said something recently that really kind of stuck with me, and he was like, "Don't get married to your ideas, because yeah. the second you get married to your ideas, you start to defend them, and when you yeah. defend them, you you stop learning." That's and true. I was like, "Oh man, that's so good." Yeah, that is really good. Yeah, like that. fucking Rogan. All right. So step two. Okay. You've decided to engage. So first listen. I like how he starts it with an okay. Okay. All right. You're going to do do this. this. You're going to do this. (laughs) So first listen and listening is the most important part of a conversation. It's not what you say. Right. Really. That's like holding space. Yeah. But it's also, you have to listen like level three or whatever it is. Cause that first level listening, you're like, uh-huh, uh-huh, uh-huh. 
And you you got your answer ready to go before you even they finish their sentence. That's true. Right. And I imagine, I mean, at that point, it takes a lot of discipline and courage to just really be patient because mm-hmm. it's, it's not like just as easy as just sitting and listening. This guy's probably, you know, externalizing a lot of different things that perhaps maybe you don't even want to hear. Oh, for sure. You know, oh, we're, that's, that's step three. <sighs> Learn about the other person's values. Oh, yeah. So, mm. you know, you never know where people come from. And is this like know, before the argument? Yeah, before the argument. You do your recon. Yeah. yeah. Just learn about their history because a lot of people have are set in a certain way and have a certain opinion because of their history. Right. A perfect True. example. I'll give I'll give an example. So I'm not big on flu shots, mostly because I have a weakened immune system and any time I take the flu shot, I get the flu. So yeah. I don't like to take it. Right. Um, but some people don't take it because um, there are risk of um, of ALS. So, or um, was it ALS or um, I, I just the people, the people, there's some, there's some muscular disease that is a risk f- that you can get from the flu shot. Yeah. And I actually met someone whose father-in-law got it from the flu shot. So she doesn't take the flu shot for that reason. And she absolutely refuses. And that makes sense to me, right? Because yeah. she has a history with that and she doesn't do it because there is proof that she has seen in her life that this could happen and it's not worth it. Fuck it. I'll have the flu. So it almost sounds like just respecting the fact that somebody may have differing opinions. Yes. Mm. You know? Okay. Step four, try awareness and a pause. Yeah. Pregnant pauses are great. The, the power, the power of the pause. Yeah. That's That's what I, I think too. Like whenever it comes to like a really, really important decision. And I actually heard somebody talking about this on Instagram the other day too, where it was just like the, 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 uh, just to kind of put it in the context, they were thinking of buying a house because they just had a child Mm -hmm. and they almost impulse buy a home. And they just said, if you're going to make a really important decision, like give it some time, like go to sleep, wake up. They had clarity when they woke up. Mm -hmm. You can't even explain how or why that even happens. But I've had that before when you're like in an argument and in the moment, it's really, really hard to pull away from it because there's this incentive that there's this yearning to want a certain outcome. But if you really develop the discipline to just give yourself some space and your partner, you can come back with a completely different set of eyes that isn't being motivated by those neurotransmitters, Hmm. you know? Okay. And I just fact checked myself again, second time, second time, um, the flu shot, um, in very rare cases can give you Guillain-Barre. What is that? Um, it's, it's a, it's a disorder. I can't remember if it's the outside in or the inside out kind of like, um, MS where you like totally get paralyzed and, um, it paralyzes your, your lungs and you die. I mean, I know a lot of people that just don't do the flu judges for spiritual reasons. I mean, Mm -hmm. obviously it's, it's a, it's a virus. It's a, a a foreign thing. Mm -hmm. And I, I kind of take that stance too. I mean, uh, nature is moderating my life force Mm -hmm. and it's time for me to go. It's time for me to go. Sure. I feel like it's like a, I'm never going to think that I know more than my body does, mm-hmm. you know. That makes sense. My yeah. buddy just moved to Idaho so he can have those his own rights and beliefs about flu shots and guns and yeah. libertarian ideals. Yeah. Okay. All right. Step five. Um, don't engage in black and white thinking. So this is back to what Joe Rogan says. Don't get married to don't your ideas. Married. Yeah. Don't just, get married. Yeah, because black and white thing, you're you're it's obviously obviously polarizing. Yeah. Right? It's either you're on my side or you're on their side. Mm-hmm. And there's no in between. Yeah. And um even when they're I mean, we've all heard this before, even when 
you've won an argument, there's still a losing a loser. Yeah. And even when you won, you obviously still lose because there's somebody that is hurting over the fact that you're right. Yeah. You know? Or hurting over the fact that you think you're right and you're not. Exactly. I mean, so there's that too. Yeah. Okay, so step six. Um, when confronted, stop, take a deep breath, smile, and then make a choice. Wait, say that one more time. When confronted, stop, take a deep breath, smile, and then make a choice. I don't know about the smile part. I know. I, I do know about the smile part because the, the smile, anytime you smile, even if you're not happy, when you smile, it elicits elicits that emotion of happiness. Oh, I see. So it's not it's not so they can see. It's not so they, they can see you smile. <laughs> 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 be like, what are you smiling for? But I understand what you're saying. This yeah. is more yeah. for in this is more for self care. Yes. Yeah. 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 So just make sure that they don't see you smiling. I yeah. think is that because when you're arguing with someone and you smile like <laughs> well actually no sometimes that's good because it does it can lighten the mood that's true yeah it just so, depends on how you do it though. which which leads to step seven don't try to prove them wrong right so you know when you're having a conversation it needs to be diplomatic right and you're not yeah. trying to change someone's ideas yeah that just takes a whole lot of awareness right so i think that ties that back to holding space for somebody 100 percent. okay so step eight be prepared to forgive now mm. and all kinds of forgiveness and step nine this is my favorite one make a gentle joke oh yeah a pun yeah puns are always good in moments like that yeah totally it, or a joke or you know it, but make a tasteful joke you know because yeah. sometimes people make jokes and it's even more offensive and then it just adds flames to the fire you know I yeah know. yeah be careful with your joke but yeah it's got to be it's got to be related to the topic, right? right? Right, exactly. And not attacking the person. Yeah. But yeah. anyway, something really innocent. Yeah, I learned don't tell somebody to calm down. Oh, that's, never. That's oh, my gosh. Yeah, yeah. That's the worst one. I actually, I actually got a quote. Or by, relax. 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 Yeah, somebody woke up on the wrong side of the bed. <laughs> relax. 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 I think another good, actual, useful one is to, to talk about it ahead of time and have that safe word. Mm hmm. That's true. Uh, mine, mine is balaclava. So if I hear balaclava, I know I'm 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 hyper. I'm over overreacting, or I'm just something. So if somebody says that to me, I'm like, all right, I trust my friends who know the safe word. Yeah, that's a good thing. You haven't know. known this yet, Jen. Can you pick an like easier or safe word? It sounds like baklava. baklava. I know. Baklava is the, the face mask that you wear for like if you're robbing a bank. Oh. That's, a, that's a balaclava. Oh. Okay, I will not remember that. So if I say baklava, nope. you'll know what I mean. Yeah. Or you can just say safe word. Yeah, safe word. <laughs> safe word. <laughs> safe word. I think those are really, really good um, things to use in a relationship. Right? True. Are we, yeah, I guess an argument and a relationship argument is different. Yeah, I think I think that I've put that into practice. I think in relationships in the past, where it's like, hey, the second you see me being triggered or you see me going to this this place, inevitably that happens in relationships. Where, I mean, you're two different people joining together to to really engage in a just almost like this form of really complex alchemy. I mean, mm -hmm. I told this to Jen before, which is like, you know, you spend. 30 plus years of your life without this person in your life. And then you finally meet them at age 30 and we somehow expect them to understand us 100%. So those sort of like triggers and those um, shadow aspects, especially in a partner that knows everything about you are going to come out. Yeah. So I think it's, that's like so important for that compassion to exist. And that really comes down to like communication and meeting each other and um, developing things like what you're talking about, yeah. like safe words, you know. Picking a time in the future or place is a good one. 
Big, yeah. We're we're drunk. We're tired. Let's mm-hmm. tomorrow nine a.m. Let's have breakfast. Let's let's talk. You about go. It. You go sleep. You want to go out? I'm gonna stay here. Yeah. I think those are at least right now good tools. We'll see. Yeah. Yeah. And if you're an empath like Eric and I, and you know that someone is upset with you or you're about to have a hard conversation, it's like blood pressure goes up, immediately start sweating, heart rate goes up, and it's really hard to focus. So for yeah. me, I, I don't do well in those situations. I'm better like after the fact. Huh. Mm-hmm. So I try to do more listening whenever I have those conversations and then, you know, kind of calm down. And when I get to a calm place, then going back to revisit. Yeah. Yeah. Which is kind of seems like you're, I don't know. Like for me, digging I, into an old wound, but yeah. Yeah. I, I, I hear what you're saying, but you know, some people just need space and time. Yeah. You know, time to process emotions and time to process feelings. But I'm one of those people that I want to, I want to get at it in the moment. Which it doesn't, I mean, it doesn't always happen that way because yeah. everybody's different, but I is, mean. Is being an empath mean you can turn it on or off or you just sort of the, the giver of society? I don't know if you read that book. But. I wouldn't say that it's a, a turning off or on thing. I think it's just a, a really hyper sensitivity to the energy of other people. Yeah. And you develop practices to either cope or uh, learn how to deal with and, and, and use that energy in the right way, you know. That's what yeah. I think it's about. Yeah, no, I totally agree. So um, my last question, if you had something to leave with our listeners, one thing, what would it be? To not let your relationships end when you think they're done. And it doesn't have to necessarily have to be death. Death takes form in many ways. Reach out to the people that you think weren't, there was nothing left there. Maybe you thought it was a dead relationship, but with my mom, there's so much more I found through this book through the people I met through the book, mm-hmm. that it it's a shame that conversations have to stop. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And sometimes they're hard. Sometimes you don't want it to say them, but keep having those conversations with the people close to you and, and maybe reach out to the people far from you. Having an international family was always tough for me and I need to do better at reaching out to them and... And we didn't even touch on that about your most recent move to Europe and what you're up to. Um, oh, give me is, a reason to invite me back on the podcast. Yeah, 100%. Oh, yeah. We'd love to have you. We'll, we'll have to Zoom you because you live in Europe. That's true. Where can people find the book? So you can go to zoepayne.com. Mm-hmm. Z-O-E-P-A-Y-N-E.com. Mm-hmm. And then... And do you have an you, IG? Are you on Instagram? Zoe Payne Art mm-hmm. everywhere. Mm-hmm. Fortunately, Zoe is a and, good name. And do you have that art for sale? Yeah, so right now I'm doing prints for one of 50. I've sold 10. Mm -hmm. Thank you, Jen, for being one of those 10. (laughs) Uh, It is a unique collection where you get to pick your print from the website and Mm -hmm. you can get any size within reason. And the idea is that that 50 will be a a unique run that will be for, uh, so unique because it's based on the collection that people choose. So I'm looking at the website. Is that her picture? That's a, she was obviously very young there, right? Yeah. Oh wow, that's amazing. That's really really cool. Are you, and and as far as your your also your Burning Man art because that's something that's really interesting to me too. Do you have a website or somewhere where you can kind of uh, post that or maybe send updates about what you're going to be doing with that? Yeah, I'll sh- I'll share that with with you and you could post it. I don't have no nothing came from that. I learned how to be a, a micro 
electronics soldering person from that. Yeah. So that's my art from that, but it's, not, it's not that sexy. And now we have a, a light up oh, island in our kitchen. Oh my yeah, gosh. Yeah, that's how, yeah, Jeremy learned from him. <laughs> oh, how to program all those lights. <laughs> yeah. yeah, that's amazing. Did yeah. you see that? You saw yeah. it, right? Oh, it's man. amazing. Oh yeah. Luke was here when we didn't have anything in this house. It was just like, plywood floors that was, that was right before i went to england right before lockdown where i wrote on a napkin jeremy here you go yeah here's how you do it <laughs> see you later that's awesome well thank you so much for coming in and it's very very nice to meet you i know you've been friends with jen for a long time she said a lot of really amazing things about you so it was nice to have you in and to talk about your journey yeah, thanks eric here. thanks yeah, jen this has yeah. been amazing i know i, I came in here nervous but i feel Although still sweaty, but very, very, yeah. very relaxed. I it's, feel great. So there's a reason why you feel sweaty. So I was text messaging Jeremy to turn the air on. Um, <laughs> I was like, we're sweating in here. We're dying. And he goes, oh, I thought you meant turn the air off. And I was like, no. <laughs> it's 90 degrees in here. That's so okay. for those of you watching, um, we're all very hot. I'm actually really, really cool now. Now, yes. Yeah, now. we found a nice, found a nice balance. <laughs> well, you can welcome any back anytime on the show. Just let us know. Stop by. Yeah, we'll have great. just like a conversation so about whatever. So, everybody that's listening, uh, we're also going to be posting a, a couple. I think new platforms. We talked about this. I think in the last episode, we're on Spotify, mm -hmm. iHeartRadio. I forgot one last time. Uh, Spotify, iHeartRadio, Google. Apple Podcast. Apple Podcast, YouTube. And I think that's pretty much it, right? That's it. So the visual component of it will be on YouTube, so we'll be able to see this talk, and you guys can download it on whatever platform is comfortable for you. You could also go directly to our website at www.divine-nobodies.com. And I think I covered everything, right? That's it. Yeah. We'll keep everybody up to date. Thank you so much for coming in. Thank you. Yeah. And thank you, everybody, for listening. Namaste. Namaste, friends. Namaste. Namaste.